You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So, in 1968, this play opened off Broadway called The Boys in the Band, and it was a huge sensation. And it was this play about a group of gay friends getting together for a birthday party at an apartment in Manhattan and just laying into each other, tearing the each other to pieces. And a lot of people at the time, even some people today, thought it was really homophobic. But actually, you know, the message of the play, what it ends with is these gay guys tearing each other apart and this dark night of the soul and just they light into each other. And one of the characters, the main character, the lead character at the end of the play says, if we could just learn not to hate ourselves quite so much, right? The play was really a fun, campy romp through the twisted psyches of people who'd been warped by the homophobia and hatred that they had to endure and the lack of information and their inability to conceive of themselves as anything but damaged because they were gay. And I love the play. I'm one of those people who saw the play, saw the movie version of it that came out in 1970 when I was a teenager. And my takeaway wasn't, oh, gay people are awful. My takeaway was, these guys have friends. My takeaway was, look at them dance. My takeaway was, oh, yeah, I will move to the city and I will have friends. I'll just make some better friends. And not everybody in the show was awful. There were actually a couple of characters who were more together and they stood out in the pile of shit that was on the stage or on the, on the screen. And, you know, my takeaway was positive. So anyway, the actors, most of them in, in this play and then in the film version because the film version of Matt Crowley's Boys in the Band featured the cast from the uh, off-Broadway hit production. Most of them were straight and most of the guys in it who were gay were not out uh, at the time the film came out because there were no out gay actors and they wanted to have careers, right? Some of them did turn out to be gay. Uh, some of them were lost to the HIV AIDS epidemic. But at the time when the film came out, uh, no out gay actors. And when the play was still running off Broadway, the New York Times did a story, a profile of the guy who played Emery, Cliff Gorman. He was the actor who played Emery. And Emery is the bitchiest, most effeminate, has a lot of really the, the, the funniest jokes. It's kind of, you know, he's the biggest flaming queen on the stage. So he's the center of attention and an audience favorite. And Cliff Gorman as Emery was brilliant. Cliff Gorman was also straight. And the New York Times wrote a profile of Cliff Gorman while the play was still running before the film had been made with this headline. You don't have to be one to play one, meaning you don't have to be a faggot to play a faggot and to play it convincingly. And in this profile of Cliff Gorman, he talks about how he likes country music and talks about his wife and his baby, I think daughter, and just is scratching and belching and butching it up really overcompensating, really communicating to readers, directors, other playwrights, casting agents that even though he's a fag in this show, he's not really a fag that he can play butch guys. And don't think just because he's a fag in this show and a fag in the movie and such a screaming queen that he puts dicks in his mouth. He doesn't. He's a man's man who puts his dick in uh women and has babies and listens to country music and cracks open beers and scratches himself. Which brings me to Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey is coming. It is the film adaptation of the terrible, terrible trilogy of BDSM novels 
that I have not read. I never watched Two Girls, One Cup. There are certain things I will not do just because I have this job. And I don't read fiction generally, and I'm not going to read fiction about straight kinksters, particularly when all the kinksters in the world that I respect are howling about what a terrible portrayal of kink and BDSM and DS dynamics this trilogy of bullshit books are. All I know about it is, and spoiler alert, in the end, the love of this good woman fixes this man and he's no longer interested in BDSM or kinky sex. That this BDSM kinky sex was an expression of some sort of unresolved bullshit inner conflict and once she fixes that, he's cured. And, you know, the problem with that is all these suburban housewives and middle-aged women furiously masturbating to the books all over the country are not masturbating to the cure scene. They're not masturbating to he's fixed. They're masturbating to all the BDSM that they were doing, that we're getting off on the kink, but then exonerated at the end because nobody's kinky at the end of the story. Everyone's normal and fixed and vanilla, right? So we can enjoy the kink so long as we're on this track toward normalville. And, and it's just bullshit. Anyway, I haven't read it. I'm not going to read it. I'm probably not going to see the movie. But the actor who plays Christian Grey, Jamie Dornan, is giving interviews and talking about the film and talking about his process and how he researched the role. And in an interview with Elle magazine, Jamie Dornan talked about visiting sex dungeons and observing kinky people having their kinky sex. And he said, I went there. They offered me a beer, a beer. Uh, and then I watched whatever they were into. I saw a dominant with one of his two submissives and I was like, come on guys. I know I'm not paying for this, but I'm expecting a show. It was an interesting evening. Then going back to my wife and newborn baby afterwards, I had a long shower before touching either of them. This is basically the you don't have to be one to play one interview. This is Cliff Gorman all over again. Instead of gay and boys in the band, it's kink and Fifty Shades of Grey. There were no openly gay actors in the 1960s and into the 70s. No openly gay movie stars. No Matt Bombers. No Neil Patrick Harris's who could have played those roles without having to distance themselves from them, right? If you did a new film version of Boys in the Band today, you could cast it entirely with famous openly gay actors who then wouldn't have to flounce around in the New York times brandishing their wives and children and belching and farting and opening beers. There are no openly kinky actors. We are today right now with BDSM and kink, perhaps where we were 40, 50 years ago with gay men and gay people, no openly gay actors, then no openly kinky actors. Now Cliff Gorman, then, and you don't have to be one to play one in the New York times. Then Jamie Dornan and Elle magazine and basically you don't have to be one to play one now, right? What the New York Times piece asserted was all your prejudices, all of your loathing of gay people is completely justified. Even this guy who's playing one kind of feels the same way, right? And here you have Jamie Dornan saying to the readers of Elle magazine who are presumed to be not kinky, any of them. And it's a mass market magazine, so some of those people reading this are kinky, saying, ew, you don't have to be one to play one, and your prejudices are all valid. They are disgusting and weird. And I was so disturbed. I felt so dirty, Jamie Dornan is saying, after visiting a dungeon, that I took a shower before touching my wife when I got home because I would have – I didn't want to contaminate her with the pollution of kink. 
How aggravating. It was aggravating. I'm not old enough to have read that article in the New York Times. You don't have to be one to play when it came out in 1968 when I was three. But how aggravating it must have been, particularly for the gay people who'd gone to and really enjoyed Boys in the Band, then to have themselves pushed away. To have the actors in that production telegraphing their disgust with being associated with gay people in the New York Times. And here we have the actors in Fifty Shades of Grey telegraphing in the pages of Elle magazine and other publications their disgust with being associated with kinky people. Aggravating. Jamie Dornan, kind of an asshole. Kind of a shitty thing to say about the people who he's representing on the screen, the interests he's representing and exploiting. That's what's most offensive about Fifty Shades of Grey for a lot of kinky people It brandishes, misrepresents, and exploits BDSM sex and kink to titillate people who either aren't into it or are into it and just so ill-informed about it that they think this is an accurate representation, profits off that misrepresentation and exploitation, and then shits all over the people who are being exploited and misrepresented in the process. How aggravating. Maybe in 40 years, we will be able to contemplate a new production of Fifty Shades of Grey featuring actors who are openly kinky and wouldn't engage in this kind of bullshit, just as today we can contemplate a new production of Boys in the Band featuring actors like Neil Patrick Harris and Matt Palmer who are openly gay and no longer shitting all over the people that they are exploiting or representing. But in the meantime, we're going to have to endure. We're going to have to put up with these you-don't-have-to-be-one-to-play-one interviews featuring the cast, the stars of Fifty Shades of Grey. My advice ignore them. Ignore the movie. Ignore the movie as I have attempted to ignore the book. It can be done. And now your calls. Hey, Dan. Here's my question. So I have been seeing a girl for about four months now, and she has a boyfriend. We just started a graduate program together. Right off the bat, we clicked. Uh, We started seeing each other literally the first day we met. And since then, it accelerated. Uh, we've been sleeping with each other, pretty much dating, but everything's been under wraps. She doesn't want to tell anyone and whatnot. So to give you additional context, her boyfriend is involved in uh, something that keeps him away, and they weren't chatting for a long time. So he, she wasn't seeing him. She was only seeing me. Additionally, when they were, when she was with her boyfriend, they weren't having much sex. Our relationship has been heavy on the sex, and as I said, it has celebrated super quickly. We got to the point where we're, we told each other, we, well, I told her I loved her, and she told me that she loved me and all that. So that all being said, I got to the point where I, I sort of expected her to break up with her boyfriend, and that hasn't happened. Additionally, she saw him, and... She decided to post pictures of the two of them on Facebook and all this. So it made me feel super confused because it it seemed like what we had was real and authentic and going somewhere. Uh, So I pretty much gave her an ultimatum, which she responded, one, she she responded poorly to, but two, she essentially implied that she wasn't going to break up with him. I let it slide for a little bit, and then I addressed the issue again. And she told me, she pretty much told me that she loves him more than she loves me and she's not breaking things off. So that pretty much was a shot to the heart for me. And I realized then that I had to move on. 
That being said, I then ended up seeing her the next three days. She told me she loved me again, all this. We're getting to a point where there's a break from school, so I won't see her for quite a few weeks. And I know in my heart that I just need to move on, but I'm just still struggling with that. And I just don't know exactly what to do. I'd love to hear some objective feedback. You know what you need to do. You need to break it off with her. You need to go fuck somebody else. Uh, why is she fucking you so much? Why is she saying I love you so much if she is in love with this other person? I don't know because she likes your dick because she likes having a boy at school too in addition to the boy back at home because she actually does love you in a different way or maybe you're a better partner for her. Maybe you're a better match for her but there's family pressures or religious issues or something else that makes him in her eyes the better settle for life partner mate husband and who knows what those things are and you only have her word to go on when she says that they don't have much of a sexual connection that is something that people have been known to lie about to their peace on the side that you know my husband and i don't really have sex or we don't have really great sex and it's just it kind of justifies they're fucking you in your eyes they don't want you to think there's some bad person so they disparage their partner that they won't break up with or they characterize the relationship as somehow lacking or insufficient in some way that it may not be so that they look like they're the victims too when actually they're just sucking up all the dick. So what do you do? Well, it's only been four months. You've both started this grad program together. How much more of your dick do you want to throw at her in hopes that perhaps false hopes that she will in the end realize she loves you and your dick more than she loves him and his dick? It's only been four months. You're already invested. Your heart's in it. You can keep putting your part in it in hopes that she decides to pick you instead. And that may in the end happen. She may go home for the holidays and look at him and be able to weigh what she has with him or had with him against what she has and does have with you right now. And she may decide to pick you or not. She's clearly keeping her options open though. She's fucking you both, right? You should do the same. You should keep your options open. You should pursue other people because you may meet somebody who you click with that you feel just as strongly for and you can pick her over this one. That's my advice. Keep throwing your dick at her if you think she might pick you but keep your options open just as she's keeping her options and her legs and everything else open. Hi, Dan. Okay, I, I know I just asked a, <laughs> asked a question recently, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a little tipsy, and I thought of another one. So I'm in college, and that has resulted in a lot of, like, intellectual crushes on teachers. It's not like I want to get with them like sexually or romantically, but just want, I don't know, I just want to express my love of their intellect. How do I best do this? Recently in the Savage Love Letter of the Day, which I post every day to Slog, the Stranger's Blog, it also goes out to people who have the Savage Love app, um, we got a letter, and I ran it, from a university professor begging Students, to please stop hitting on us. He was speaking for all profs. 
uh, and assistant professors, tenured professors and non-tenured professors that just the, – the sexual attentions of these hot, luscious students who would throw – who sometimes throw themselves at them were just torturous and too much to bear. And they got exhausted, the good ones, deflecting them, that it was very, very annoying to constantly have to deflect the attentions of students who were hot for their bodies. But you're just hot for their intellect. So what I think you do is you get drunk and you go to the professor whose intellect you're hot for and you say, I'm so hot for your intellect. I totally want to suck on your intellect. I want to suck off your intellect. I want your intellect to blow its load of intelligence into my brain. And then you see what they say. I'm sure you will get uh, a very positive response because you're only after their intellect. You're after what they're there to impart in their position, their knowledge. You're not after their DNA. Good luck out there. And the tech savvy Irish youth just passed me a note and they want you to know that it's just – and they're all college age. It's a good idea to be really tipsy when you have those kinds of conversations with your profs after they give you your grades. Not before. Wait till the end of the semester. Hey, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old straight dude in Texas and I wanted your opinion about an OkCupid okay date I had last night. I met a young lady at a bar and we grabbed a drink and had outside. After about 30, 40 minutes, she gets up to use the restroom, and I thought that would be a good time to have a cigarette. Well, she gets back before I'm done, and when I finish my cigarette, she said, all right, well, I'm going to go close my tap, which seems strange since it was her first drink. Uh, she got back and said, hey, I'm going to be honest with you, smoking's a non-negotiable thing for me. It was nice meeting you, and got up and left. I can't decide how I feel about it. Um, the fact that she was not wasting her time also meant she wasn't wasting mine, which I appreciate, but she could have saved even more time by listing smoking as a deal breaker on her profile, maybe, or just, uh, reading the section of my profile stating that I smoke when I drink. Um, I know she doesn't owe me anything. I'm not, I'm not angry, but I can't decide if this was a, uh, a shitty thing to do or, or a self-centered thing to do maybe. Uh, looking for your opinion. Thanks. Get a lot of letters, get a lot of calls from people who are annoyed when they go out for a date. They meet somebody in person that they've been talking to online. They have that first face-to-face -face meeting and everything seems to go great and then they never hear from that person again. And what it was, of course, is that sometime during the drinks or that first meeting or the coffee or the whatever, that person realized that they're not into you. But they were polite. They didn't let you know that they weren't really into you. They didn't tell you that you revealed yourself to be unacceptable for some reason, whatever that reason might be. And people have their feelings hurt because they're like, oh, it seemed to go so great and now silence and that's so cruel and really why didn't they just say? Why didn't they just tell me rather than leading me to believe something that wasn't true, that they might be into me or want to have a second date? And now here you are and the person told you. They just threw it out there on the table, said thank you, bye, and you're upset. And, and what this illustrates is just that nobody wants to be done for any reason by anyone at any time ever. If she had just jollied you along and been polite and had a couple of more drinks and then left and you never heard from her again, you would be annoyed and upset. If she jollied you along and you had a couple more drinks and you parted and you thought everything went great and then she wrote you and said, sorry, smoking's a deal breaker, you would have been upset. But she told you in the moment what was unacceptable and that it wasn't going to work and you're upset. It's just upsetting to be 
dumped even by someone that you've been seeing for less than 20 minutes. It's upsetting to be dumped. All that said about the smoking, was it shitty of her to go not read your entire profile and memorize every detail? Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I wouldn't say shitty. Perhaps it was sloppy. Maybe she was sloppy. Maybe she was incompetent. She didn't do her due diligence. And so you got your feelings hurt in a tiny minor way. Or maybe she did read the whole profile and it was something else about you that turned her off, that made her feel uncomfortable, that made her want to pull the ripcord and bail. And rather than telling you it was because you came across as creepy or you made her uncomfortable in some other way or you held political opinions that she found appalling and she didn't want to get into it, she just pointed to the smoking as kind of this arbitrary deal breaker that wasn't as judgy or as confrontational. Just, oh, sorry, you smoke. I don't smoke. It'll never work out. Bye. Rather than, oh, really? You voted for Greg Abbott and not Wendy Davis? Fuck you. Goodbye. Right? She didn't want to say that because that was more confrontational than just, you know, you have this habit that I can't live with and doesn't make you a bad person and see you bye. Could have been that as well. But ultimately, you have to tell yourself when you're out there dating and you're meeting a bunch of people that people are going to chuck you aside, set you aside, decide they don't want to date you for all sorts of reasons, just as you decide not to date other people, women, for all sorts of your own reasons. And you can sit at home after you're dumped or after you've been told that for whatever reason they don't want to continue to see you or date you or have another drink with you. You could sit at home and wring your hands about what it means or whether they did it right or wrong or whether they were shitty or not in the moment. Or you could just let it go and move on and not obsess about it. You weren't right for her. She let you know overdone. Sucks. Yes. But that is part of it. It's part of dating, online dating, in-person dating, face-to-face dating, meeting up for drinks dating, long-term dating, even committed dating. It's part of it to get dumped. It's a vetting process. People meet they figure out whether they're you're somebody they want to continue to see. And if you are, great. They continue to see you. If not, they dump you. If they're not someone you want to continue to see, you dump them. It's just part of it. And you can't be a whiny-ass titty baby about it. You just can't be. You got to be a thick-skinned adult about it. Get back on OkCupid okay and date somebody else. Also, too, before I let you go, quit smoking. It's a disgusting and filthy habit. I wouldn't date you either. Hi, Dan. I'm calling because recently I had a threesome with a female friend of mine. I am a straight woman who's currently living in Portland. So my female friend and I met a guy at the bar and we ended up having a threesome. We had him wear a condom and it was our first all of our first times having a threesome to my knowledge. But my question was partially through a threesome, I started to get concerned about um, how if it was that my friends and I were both um, being vaginally penetrated from this guy wearing the one condom. Both my friend and I are sexually active and both have multiple partners. So how can I ensure that in the future, if we were to have another threesome, that my friend and I would both be safe from each other because I'm wondering if we can spread STDs from one to another from this one condom that we're wearing uh, going to both of our vaginas or if 
we should have been switching condoms every time someone else is being penetrated or if there is another threesome uh, safety etiquette that I have no idea about. You're going to go from one hole to another, whether it's a twosome or a threesome, it's straight sex, you have to switch condoms. You have to change condoms. You can't go from anal to vaginal and back and forth with one condom because you don't want to introduce fecal bacteria into the vaginal canal because that can be very bad. Uh, same thing, sort of, when you are with two women and you're a dude, you don't use one condom and go from pussy to pussy. Because if one of those women has an STI, you are transferring it potentially to that other woman. Of course, you know, people talk about STIs often in, in, in a sexual context as if, you know, rubbing two dicks together, like rubbing two sticks together, you can generate an STI. You can make, you can build a fire, right? Uh, if neither you nor your friend have a sexually transmitted infection, he can't transmit one from you to the other or vice versa. But one of you could have a sexually transmitted infection that they're not aware of. And maybe your friend has herpes or chlamydia and has been asymptomatic because her immune system is kicking its ass. But you – when you're exposed to that same strain, you have a massive outbreak and you know it and, she, and you just don't want to do it. You just don't want her – on her word, she says, oh, I don't think I have anything. No, you don't go back and forth. He has to change condoms before he goes from her hole to your hole. If that is a potentially boner-killing distraction for him to pull one condom off and put another condom on – there is an option, which is the female condom, where you both insert female condoms into your own vaginas and he can take his bare dick and go from you to her and back again. There's skin-to-skin potential STI transmissions that are just uh, a risk that you have to accept if you have an adventurous and exciting and varied sex life that are unavoidable. Those risks will be cut. Your exposure uh, – the potential for exposure will be minimized if you use condoms, not eliminated. But the you know the big ones that you're really worried about, he has to change condoms or you both in your holes, maybe all four of your holes need to have female condoms. And then he can flit from hole to hole without any worries or without having to take any breaks to put a new condom on. A pro tip about those female condoms though, they're basically – I hate to say this and I'm talking about butt sex too and just men so I'm not trying to say something – Badgephobic. They're like trash can liners, right? And you know, when you put the trash can liner in the trash can, you have to make sure it's up and over the edges of the trash can, or when you throw garbage in, the trash can liner falls into the hole, falls into the can too, and then the garbage is outside the liner and inside the can, right? When he is going to put his dick in you or run over to her and put his dick in her, that point of entry at insertion when you're using a female condom, you need to be very conscientious and careful. That's when you can do necessarily in the dark or without paying attention. You need to eyeball it and maybe even feel it and make sure that the female condom is still spread out. And then when he's entering you, he's going into the condom, not into your vaginal canal alongside that female condom. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old straight male. Just started dating a 20-year-old straight female. Absolutely head over heels. Just can't get enough about her. She feels the same way. And, you know, it's a very small problem right now, but I, I just have a, you know, a concern that, you know, the sex life has been incredible. You know, I, I was going without it for a while because I was in a sexless relationship. She was working through her school and, you know, wasn't dating anybody and, you know, we're both enjoying it and just hitting our stride. I'm getting off, you know, but the problem is she's not. And it's never really been an issue with my partners in the past. She says no one's ever gotten her off. She's never gotten herself off, just, you know, a vibrator. And, you know, I've 
brought up the idea of using it and she says she doesn't feel comfortable using it during our sessions. You know, she wants to just, it to be about me and her. And I mean, there's even, she says she's so satisfied and so into it. And, you know, even to the point where she has to have me stop because, you know, she just can't take anymore. And I just wondering is, is it something I just let go? Do I, if she says she's satisfied and do I just let her, you know, have her sessions on her own to take care of it later on in the week? She seems fine with that. Is, am I being selfish for wanting to give that to her and, and include it? And if she says, no, this is for me and, you know, this is all, that's our thing and this is my thing exclusively, do I just respect those boundaries or, you know, do I just let her come around with the idea? Is it an issue or not? Because I can't figure out. I love this expression, she's never gotten herself off, just a vibrator has gotten herself off, as if there are these sentient vibrators that roam around kicking down women's doors and jumping into bed with them and getting them off all of their own accord. That's not something that she did. She didn't go buy a vibrator. She didn't use a vibrator on herself. A vibrator leapt out at her on the street and gave her an orgasm all by itself of its own free will without any agency or participation or willing participation on her part. She was assaulted by a vibrator and that vibrator gave her an orgasm. She did not give herself an orgasm using a vibrator. That's what she did. She, she gives herself orgasms using a vibrator. Why is she uncomfortable about incorporating that vibrator into your sex play, which is what I would advise her to do? Well, well, I've heard from women who – are squirters and are very embarrassed and she may not be ready to drown you yet. I've heard from women who sometimes experience incontinence uh, when they climax and becomes, they become very, very tense and nervous and not all the time but every once in a while. So they get very nervous about risking a, an orgasm with a partner in the room. Maybe it's one of those issues and, and that's perfectly understandable. Or maybe she's just really tense. You're brand new. You've just started sleeping with her. So my advice to you would be to listen to her and she is saying, I love the sex. I'm having a really good time. It's really physically satisfying and she's not wanting to prioritize uh, or incorporate her orgasms into the sex right now. And you can just lay a marker down and say, whenever you're ready, I'm ready too and I would love to and we can use that vibrator together uh, whenever you want. But if this is how you want to roll right now, I'm fine with it. And one other thing I think you should do to perhaps normalize the whole vibrator thing and to make it about the both of you, even if you can't be there when she uses it, is to take her to a store and buy a vibrator together. If you live in a city that has a woman-owned sex toy store, they're great places for couples to go together. And it would be a great place for you to take her to buy her a vibrator. And so you're sort of bank shot giving her orgasms. Even if you're not in the room, even if you're not there when she's using it, it's an orgasm that you kind of participated in. So if there's a Babeland, if you live in New York or San Francisco, if you live in Kansas City where there's a Wink, if you live in Halifax where there's Venus Envy, if you live in Minneapolis where there's Smitten Kitten, if you live in Toronto where there's Come As You Are or Good For Her, there's these great sex toy shops all over North America. If you live in a city with one, Take her to one, buy her a vibrator and continue the conversation about her orgasms and her pleasure and affirm the way she gets her orgasms. Even if you can't be in the room right now for whatever reason, you can be a presence in that room with her spiritually. You can be her orgasm spirit animal at that moment when she busts out the vibrator that you bought with her for her. Hey, Dan, I'm a 23-year-old straight guy, 
And I've been with my girlfriend for a year and a half. She's 26. And things are really great. We have a super good, loving relationship. Yeah, things are good. But we have a slight difference in sex drive, which creates some tension sometimes. Basically, I like to have sex once or twice a day. And sometimes she's, like, all on board with that, wants to have sex that much. And then sometimes she doesn't want to have sex for, like, a few days or even, like, a week or a little bit more at a time. And we talked about that, and she says it's just um, her, you know, sometimes she's just in a mood where she doesn't feel sexy for a couple of days and doesn't feel like having sex. And rationally, I get that, but still I have a bad emotional reaction when she rejects me or she doesn't want to have sex for a couple of days because it makes me just feel like I don't turn her on or something's wrong, you know. And um, I would like to be able to handle that better, you know, not get upset by it because... I don't know, it makes me feel like a douche for uh, not being able to give her that space and respect that mood. But still, you know, I get it. It just makes me feel like something's wrong. Yeah, I'm just not sure what I can do to uh, maybe, like, learn to control my own sex drive better. Because I don't like like feeling like I'm pressuring her to have sex. And, yeah, that's not good. I don't want to do that. So if there's some way that you could give me some advice to just be more cool with that or let it go. That would be awesome. I kind of love you actually, because the dynamic that you've recognized where she's not always up for sex and then you feel hurt and rejected. Uh, you've made this leap to an understanding that this is your problem. This isn't her problem that, you know, your t- some part of you, the irrational part of you is telling yourself that this means she's not attracted to you, that she doesn't like you. And, your non-reptile brain, the rest of your brain is saying, no, that's not true. She's just not in the mood. And this isn't personal. It's not about rejection. It's just about she's not into it at this moment. And she may have a slightly lower libido than I do. And that's not her problem. It's my problem. And how do I control for that? How do I talk myself off that ledge? You're already doing it. You're already talking yourself off that ledge. The only advice that I would have for you, and I wish you'd left a callback number because I I'm about to maybe accuse you of something that may not be true, but my only advice for you would be to broaden your definition of sex. Guys, and it's just a general note for straight guys out there in the world, if every time you consented to sex, you got fucked in the ass, you wouldn't consent to sex as often as you might otherwise. If every time you say you'd like to have sex once or twice a day, and it sounds like you do have sex once or twice a day, most of the time, because it's a problem for you when those couple of days pop up where she's not feeling it or that rare occasion when it's a week. So most days she's getting fucked once or twice that she needs every once in a while a week off from having her hole pounded is understandable. She needs a break. And you would understand why she might need that break if every time you guys had sex, she was pounding your ass with a strap on dildo. If that was how sex was defined in your house, if the default Honey, you want to have sex is, honey, you want me to fuck you in the ass with a strap-on dildo for the next 45 minutes? And you'd already said yes to that twice a day for a week? You might reach a point where you're like, my fucking hole needs a break. So, guys, just as general note, have a broader definition of sex. That if sex is always she gets fucked, of course she's going to be up for it less often than you are. Because it's more physically and emotionally taxing to be the one who gets fucked. 
You fucker, you have vaginal intercourse, you blow your load, you roll over and go right to sleep, which is not a personal failing. Your body releases prolactin. It's a hormone that makes men sleepy right after they climax. So it isn't some betrayal of her or it isn't proof that you're a shitty guy because you get sleepy after you come. It's biology. But you roll over and go right to sleep after you come. And she lays there feeling like she has to pee, maybe thinking she should go pee a couple of times because she doesn't want to get another UTI, uh, tingling because her hole just got the hell pounded out of it. And so for you, sex is roll around, foreplay, fuck, come, sleep. And for her, sex is roll around, foreplay, fuck, come, not sleep, maybe for an hour, maybe for a little bit longer. It's more of a commitment. And also you know, somebody's in your body. It's a bigger psychological investment. For her than it might be for you. But if sex meant – if you – when you said I'd like to mess her, I'd like to have sex, it also meant mutual masturbation. It also meant uh, oral sex with you going down on her while you stroke yourself off. Sometimes not just her going down on you. If it also meant just like laying side by side sometimes and masturbating together and talking about how much you dig each other and the things, crazy things you'll do after her hole gets its two days off or week off, she would probably say yes more often. If every time she said yes, it wasn't, I get fucked. Or every time she said yes and then she didn't want to get fucked, it was pouting. Right? If she says yes and then says, but I'd rather do oral or have you eat my pussy or masturbate together and you pout in the hopes that your heart feelings will leverage vaginal intercourse out of her when she's not feeling it, then she's not going to risk in the future saying yes even to mutual masturbation or oral or trying to throw that on the table. She doesn't want to deal with the pouting or wind up having vaginal intercourse when she's not feeling it. Also, guys, one advantage to the saying yes to oral, yes to mutual masturbation, to having a broader definition of sex is sometimes people start thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not up for getting fucked. And I say this as somebody gets fucked, right? I'm not feeling like getting fucked right now, but let's roll around. Let's do this or that. And then halfway through it, you're like, yeah, let's fuck. So sometimes you may, you know, she may say she's not up for vaginal intercourse. You agree to eat her pussy and halfway through eating her pussy – She's like, guess what? Fuck me. You know what? I've j- fuck me. I just, I need your dick in me right now. She may change her mind. She won't change her mind if you pout about it. She won't change her mind if you make her feel like eating her pussy is some goddamn consolation prize and not the highlight of your day. Make her feel like it's the highlight of your day. Make it the highlight of your day. It should be the fucking highlight of your day. And she might upgrade halfway through. She might upgrade you to first puss. I apologize for that pun. It may be the worst pun I've ever made. It just popped into my head like an upgrade. She's going to upgrade you, you know, an upgrade to first puss. Who doesn't want a first puss upgrade? Besides me, of course. I do not. I never want a first puss upgrade. I will uh, stick to economy. Anyway, there's my rant for you guys. And I'm not saying that that's what you're doing. Maybe, you know, you're a sensitive enough guy that you've already identified, caller. You've already identified what's going on in your relationship is your problem, not her problem. You're not calling me asking me how to leverage sex out of her or how to get her to have sex more often than once or twice a day most times. You're saying, how do I not feel like I'm being rejected? Well, that higher brain talks yourself off a ledge. Keep listening to that part of your brain. And if you don't already have this broad definition of sex, which takes the pressure off her hole or holes, where it's not always her being penetrated vaginally, orally, or anally, where sometimes maybe it's you being penetrated or you just servicing her – giving her pleasure and not regarding oral or masturbation as some tragedy, but also as sex. If you're not already doing that, do that. And I bet on many of those days when she is not feeling it, she may be willing to go there, to go to those other places, to have that other kind of 
wonderful, intimate, pleasurable, mind-blowing sex with you. Hey, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old female getting married next year, and I've been with my fiancé for about three years now, and everything's going really well. My fiancé is 22, and he has a very low testosterone. He's already seen a doctor, but right now we don't have the money to buy the pill that he needs for it monthly. Not only does he have low testosterone, but he's taking a medication for his anxiety to also lower his libido quite significantly. So he has a low testosterone, plus something is already working against it, and basically we're having sex about once or twice a week. I myself have a very high sex drive, and I've always been a very sexual woman. When I try to be sexy or some nights, you know, talk to him in a certain way, um, he physically shows that he wants to have sex with an erection, um, but when I ask, he says that he's not mentally ready for it that night. Um, he's not in the mood mentally or what have you. I myself, um, I'm a very kinky woman as well. Um, I've always been very interested in bondage and master-slave roles, and not that I'm expecting that to happen with my fiancé, but something a little bit more rough and playful would be nice in the bedroom. Um, however, the love of my life is not willing to do these things and is very vanilla. Um, but I'm not sure how to get him to be more open to doing something just once without feeling like I'm pressuring him without feeling that I'm forcing him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Uh, but I would be fine, you know, if he did it once and that's that. Um, so, Dan, what are some things that I can do to make my fiancé sexually aroused both mentally and physically? And how can I get him to be a little more open and willing to try new things and be open to new experiences? You need to start listening to my show forwards, not playing it in reverse, all garbled, looking for secret messages. Paul is dead, satanic, whatever's. But but forwards, you can actually hear what it is that I'm saying because it doesn't sound like you've you know, you've called. You have the number. You've obviously listened to the show at least once, but it doesn't sound like you've been listening because you're 21 fucking years old. You're sexually incompatible with the person who is quote unquote the love of your life. You have mixed matched libidos. Half the show, you know, some shows are only me telling people that they're in their 20s, they're too young to get married, that mixed match libidos are a ticking time bomb at the heart of a relationship and you you should prioritize sexual compatibility and roughly aligned libidos before you commit because what can seem like a thing you should work on at the start is it's not fixable. It cannot be fixed. It is unless you guys are going to have an open relationship and a guy who won't be rough with you at all at your request, so it's not roughness, it's just sex play, isn't going to sign off on an open relationship in a few years because you're not getting enough sex. And even if he tweaks his drugs and you guys find an anti-anxiety medication that doesn't tank is already very low or lower in comparison to yours libido, he's not going to want to have the kind of sex that you want to have. And an interest in bondage and S&M is usually not a passing fancy, but kind of an obsessive hardwired in the DNA aspect of your sexual identity, expression, fulfillment. You will be unfulfilled with this guy. And you should know all of this if you've been listening to the show. And you have to have been listening to the show or you couldn't have called it. Right? So listen to the show and we could have a write your own sex advice adventure story for you, which the advice is you're 21, you're too young to get married. You may love him, but you are sexually incompatible and a sex negative culture has convinced you as it has convinced so many people that when it comes to the selection of a mate that you shouldn't put too much weight on sexual compatibility because sex is dirty and disgusting and not that important in comparison to all these other things. But also sex is so hugely important that you can't do it with anybody else if it doesn't work with your partner who's important to you for all these other reasons. Don't fall for that bullshit. If you are going to have a sexually exclusive relationship, if you are going to be monogamous in this opposite marriage – 
prioritize sexual compatibility. You have to. You must. If you don't, you are writing the death warrant for your marriage before you even arrive at the altar. Don't marry this dude. That's my advice for you. You guys are wrong for each other. Be friends. Love each other. Or say to him, love you, want to be your life partner. Clearly, we're not going to be all things to each other sexually. We can't. Let's have an open relationship. If his head explodes, run. You're free. Then he dumps you and it's over. If you won't take my advice about not marrying him, at least have a long engagement. Two, three decades. Then tie the knot. Hi, Dan. I've been with my partner for two years. I've had a lot more partners previously than she has. Also have the higher libido in the relationship. And she's shy and introverted. So over our relationship, we've done a lot of negotiating and communicating about sex and just working out the sexual compatibility stuff. The sex has always been good, but it's gotten progressively better. And now it's super hot. The problem is that lately when we've been having sex, she squirts when she comes. I know that doesn't sound like a problem, but hear me out. Every other time I've experienced female ejaculation, it's been like more vaginal fluid. Tastes the same, same consistency, just more volume as she orgasms, which is great. What's happening when my girlfriend comes is like a geyser. It's got pressure to it. And the problem is that it's not like other vaginal fluids that I've experienced it's more like pee um actually i think it is pee it smells like pee it's like an actual liquid as opposed to being kind of more viscous and it grosses me out which is terrible because i love eating her pussy i love eating pussy and i tried to bring it up by asking if she was interested in golden showers and she was totally against it which i trust the reaction because i brought it up the same way that i've brought up other things that i've actually been interested in so I don't think that she's meaning to if she is peeing. So last week's episode got me thinking that if she shouldn't be able to pee while I'm eating her out and she's coming, then is this actually just a different form of female ejaculate? Or is what I thought was female ejaculate not actually? If you can clear what it is, that would be great. Um, I've been trying to convince myself to like it by telling myself that it's come, but I'm just not convinced. Also, what do I do? I don't want to be an asshole about the way her body works. And I'm really happy that she's gotten to a place where she's really enjoying herself during sex. But I'm also important and just totally turns me off. And I've just been continuing anyway and making sure that she's satisfied before we stop. But it really sucks for me that we have super hot sex and that it ends with me being squicked out. Is there a way I can get over this? Joining me by phone uh, from San Francisco, Allison Moon, sex educator, writer, storyteller. She's the author of the books Girl Sex 101 and Bad Dyke. Before we get to this call and the particular issues it raises or squirts into the into the world, Bad Dyke, how are you a bad dyke? Because I was sexually identified as a dyke for a long time and then I fell in love with a dude. Oh, for fuck's sake. Do. Can dykes knock that <laughs> off? See, I, I didn't even know that that was the answer. And now I'm going to get in trouble with a lot of lesbians out there because every time this comes up on the show where somebody calls who's a dyke, who's fallen in love with a dude, I get yelled at for, you know, promoting the myth that lesbians are all flippable. As if it was you know, my idea for you to go sleep with a dude and then write a book about it. Sorry for uh, helping you, uh, you know, <laughs> more lesbians. As if they needed the help, right? I guess that's what I'm there for. I'm here to <laughs> angrify people. 
But you slept with a dude, and yet you were writing Girl Sex 101, which is coming out in February. Is that right? That is true. It's actually coming out in early March. But, uh, you know, the best part of it, though, is that I'm non-monogamous with my partner, which means I can, can continue to sleep with other lesbians. So I feel like I kind of hold on to at least a little bit of my queer card. Okay. Well, no, you're you're totally queer as far as I'm queer as genus, lesbian, bi, dyke, all that <laughs> species. And you're you are of my <laughs> genus, and I accept and embrace you as a part of my queer genus community. But quickly, oh, you know, another question before we get to it. You're out there sleeping with, you said other lesbians. Do you still lesbian identify? Well, I actually still identify as a dyke, although I know that that's going to angerify more people um, because I think that my community is still exclusively dyke. And even though I don't, um, I, I have a male partner, a cis guy partner, um, all of my other lovers are women. And I don't actually, I don't actually usually get attracted to other men. So it's kind of rare that I am attracted to men. And then I just found the one that kind of slipped in under the gate. So. You, met, you met the exception. I did meet the exception, exactly. And that, and that doesn't make you any less attractive. Actually, you know, I have a, a, a friend who came out. He was gay, 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 gay. Met the one exception, this woman um, married to her, still identifies as gay, but she is his partner. And I totally respect who he is and how he lives. And he's not ex-gay. He's not out there arguing that because he could fall in love with a woman that nobody should be allowed to be gay married or be gay at all. He's not one of those people right. who's weaponized his, sec- you know, his journey to attack other gay people. He's just gay and in love with a woman. And it sounds like you're a dyke in love with a man. And there's room under the sky for all of us. I totally agree. Actually, I, I was on your show years ago um, as a caller, because I was responding to a woman, a lesbian who like identifies through and through who actually started being attracted to men. And she was worried that it was going to change her identity. And I called in to say, it doesn't have to change your identity unless you want it to. And I think that also stirred up more <laughs> probably angry calls, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that your identity doesn't have to shift based on the people that you sleep with. Okay. So let's talk about this caller whose partner's uh, orgasms have shifted. Whose part? Whose orgasms are now weaponized? You're going to drown down there. <laughs> What's your girl sex expert as a bad dyke opinion on sudden onset female ejaculation that might be pee? Well, I think it's awesome that the caller wasn't trying to shame her partner for that because I think that's one of the first things that tends to happen sometimes. And so I laud the caller for thinking it's great that her partner is finding this really awesome orgasm, but, you know, having some reservations on her side of it. Um, I would probably suggest that it's not pee, or at least it's not entirely pee, um, because ejaculate is still, unfortunately, or female ejaculate is still kind of, unfortunately, not very studied. Um, But it's entirely possible that there is some urine in there. My question for the caller would be, is it that it's the idea of pee that squicks her out? Or the actual uh, the actual aesthetic of the fluid that's squicking her out because one of those two, like both of those things can be tackled, um, but it's really more about whether it's just the, the notion of pee itself is freaky to her or actually if it is the smell and the taste that's that's set, putting her off. You know? and I think one of her issues with it is the volume. She's saying that in the past she's with other women who ejaculated and it it seemed like more vaginal secretions and it wasn't a tremendous amount, but this is just oceans. Of a jacket. Fire hose, though, yeah. Yeah, fire yeah, hose. Yeah, I mean, that happens. A lot of people come like that, and I, I actually come like that sometimes. I have lovers who come like that, and I think it's pretty awesome, actually. It feels mm-hmm. good. I like watching it happen with my partner. 
Um, and what, but again, like the volume could indeed be a little bit of urine or some, some urine, which would help add to the volume, but it also could just be a lot of fluid. Uh, you know, it's, we have this amazing ability to generate a lot of fluid in our bodies. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's significant ejaculate, but it just has, you know, the smell or the yellowish tint because it comes out of the urethra. Okay. So how does she approach this with her partner? What would be your advice for initiate? Because she said to her partner, "Hey, if you're into water sports, we should talk about that." And her partner's like, "Ew, no, yeah." Right. Uh. So her partner clearly doesn't right. think this ejaculate uh, is is urine or piss. She thinks it's ejaculate, mm-hmm. and and it may be or some combo platter. Right. Well, I, mean, I think first of all, again, like if she's approaching it from the right angle of not shaming it, because that's that's such an easy trap to fall into. Um, but I would recommend, you know, like. If you can, if you can afford a liberator blanket or a squirt blanket of some other brand, um, just to have something on the side of the bed so that they don't have to worry about the actual mess factor. And, and those um, that are, can usually quiet down less. And those are mm-hmm. blankets that are extremely absorbent. Those are the. the those yeah, are, they're actually waterproof blankets. They're they have like a layer of plastic in between uh, layers of fabric, so they're you could pour a pot of coffee on them and they wouldn't leak. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, I hear you and I agree that you don't. She doesn't want to roll this out in, in a way that she's shaming her partner, but she's allowed to have her own mm-hmm. tastes and preferences too. Oh, absolutely! Right? And again, like if, it, if she says what's happening with orgasm, and if if she's eating her partner out, and then with her orgasm, she had, her partner ejaculates a lot. There are ways she can work around it. Um, and again, if her, if you know she doesn't want to tell her partner how to come. She can figure out what her relationship to the squirt factor is. Is it that she doesn't want her face down there? Is it that she doesn't want it in her mouth? Mm-hmm. Is it that she just doesn't like touching the moisture at all? Um, there are various ways of, of dealing with that. And so, like jumping um, out if, of the way. If, yeah, exactly right. Like if you can feel the orgasm coming, like that's when you dive for the boobs, you know. And <laughs> make, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this is advice yeah. I've given to people who, you know, and sometimes it makes guys sad. I think once you're coming, like somebody's giving you a blowjob, once you're coming, blowjob is done. They have done their work. Blowjob over once you're ejaculating. Mm-hmm. So if they're not into swallowing and they don't like that sensation of their mouth filling up or their sinuses filling up if you ejaculate a lot, like they can let you come over their shoulder, you know, pointed at their tits, pointed at the wall, at the ceiling, pointed at you. Like once you're coming, Mm -hmm. blowjob done. So this advice (laughs) for this woman, once she's coming, pussy eating over. Like you did your job. Well done. Good eating of pussy. You gave her an orgasm. And if you need to duck out of the way of the aftermath, like Charlton Heston and Earthquake, which is an ancient (laughs) reference that no one will get. You can do that. You can let Elizabeth Taylor be washed away if she wants to be, but you don't have to be washed away. Exactly. And so if Elizabeth Taylor is the lower lip at this point, you know, you can <laughs> lean it up. Um, yeah, I mean, like, aim it. You know, you, it's it, again, like, some people like the constant contact of mouth on pussy even when the orgasm is happening. So, like, but again, like, the clitoris is above the urethra. So if you're focused on the clit, like, you can tilt your face so that you are out of the range of the urethra and the urethra will maybe, like, squirt on your chest or whatnot. But again, if it's about the mouth and face problem, there are ways of, of definitely avoiding that situation. And if everything's damp enough and chewed up enough at that point, you know, if you're getting a blowjob and somebody's been blowing you really, uh, you know, enthusiastically and there's a lot of spit, you're not really, if they take their mouth off at the last minute and just keep the hand going up and down and everything's still wet and sloppy and fun and hard and hot, you know, you can't really tell the difference. I imagine the same is true with 
eating pussy. That if you've been eating like a champ and you're down there, if at the last minute you go up to the face to kiss and you keep your hands moving as they're climaxing, that the the, the <laughs> difference in sensation won't be that appreciable. Am I wrong? I've never eaten pussy or had mine eaten. So I'm going to kick that to you, Allison. Yeah, well, I mean, I get everybody's different. I think sometimes it for orgasm, I think with male orgasm, when you kind of tip the scale, the scale is tipped. I think for female orgasm, because it can be such a nuanced thing, that sometimes if you, you know, you kind of have to keep at the clit even when the orgasm has started, because otherwise you can kind of lose the energy behind it. That's, uh. again, that's anecdotal. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I also think that there is a one one other option um, that her, she and her partner can try, which is penetration during sex so that um, because what happens oftentimes is that if you're penetrated with, you know, a dildo or a significant amount of girth, it can actually block the urethra enough or or kind of like put a little kink in the tube that will keep the fluid from shooting out like a fire hose. Um, So that might be an option too. If she and her partner are willing to try penetration during oral sex, it might help at least decrease the amount or the force of the fluid all at once, which might ease her into things a little bit more. Okay, one last uh, thing before we let you go. Give us a random dyke sex tip from Girl Sex 101, a teaser for folks who uh, might want to go buy your book or pre-order. Oh, man. Okay, well, obviously, I'm sure you've talked about the internal clitoral structure. Um, and so I think people are trying to learn that the, the clit is that we see outside is actually just the, the tip of the iceberg, that there's a lot of clit inside, and that women have, or, you know, female-bodied or whatnot, People have just as much erectile tissue as men do. Um, so my tip is to if, consider pressure when you're using your hand or your mouth on your partner um, to stimulate the inner clitoral structure. So putting pressure on the labia, putting pressure on the cranium um, in order to generate a lot more pleasure. So it's not just all about the external licking, licking. You're stimulating the clitoral shaft then, the clitoral roots. Right, the the crura and the lobes, all of the inside bits, which are actually far more uh, intricate than a lot of people usually understand. And larger. So and, pressure, and, and sometimes it blows straight guys' yeah. minds when you go, women get boners too. There's all this erectile tissue. The same erectile tissues you have, women have, but they're buried. They're inside exactly. and you have, to, you have to do pressure and other kinds of play. And that's why often I think a Hitachi magic wand is a magic toy for a lot of women because suddenly they're getting their shaft, their, their clitoral roots, their wings, the internal mm-hmm. uh, erectile chambers stimulated that had never been stimulated before. Oh, absolutely. And the ability to grind on something like a toy or a partner's leg or face, like that is all because of the clitoral structure on the inside. The grinding feels good because you've got a lot going on. Allison Moon, sex educator, writer, storyteller, author of Bad Dyke, and uh, author of the upcoming book, Girl Sex 101. Thank you for jumping on the phone today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm a 19-year-old straight female, and I've been dating my boyfriend for five years since I was 14. He's 22 right now, and we were actually each other's first for just about everything but our first kiss. In our past, we have both been very restrictive of each other, and I pretty much chalk it up to to our insecurities and emotional immaturity because we were our first real relationship and whatnot. Over the years, it never really went away, and when he turned 21 and I turned 18, things pretty much took a turn for the worst. He began drinking, and he never drank at all before, and he would go out to places without telling me. 
when he got his first job, his new job a year, a year ago, he became a bit of a party animal, and that was never in his nature. Now there's a now here's the problem though. It was different when it was just he going to his friend's garage to jam out. But he started going out with his female coworkers that are my age or even younger. In the past few months, he went out to restaurants with them, to the bowling alley, to amusement parks, to parties, to the beach, and even slept over at their homes. He even went to a hotel one night, got drunk, and slept into a jacuzzi with just girls, all of whom I do not know personally. And it wouldn't have been such a big issue had he told me about his plans and invited me along. But he chose to do it all behind my back. It broke my heart. because, And it really shattered my trust when he admitted to me because I never thought he could lie to me so extensively and make me believe that he was actually at home all of these times. And it's upsetting mostly because if he could lie so much, how could I trust that nothing actually ever happened between he and another person? What were his motives to hide so much from me? I know a large part of it was because we were both restrictive and I'd overreact easily. It's infuriating because all of this time I had been following a different, more restrictive set of rules than he did. But I want to move on, so I forgave him and I promised to not throw this his past mistakes in his face under the condition that he actually puts an effort to improving our relationship. I'm actually having him read a book online that he's actually been reading. I've told him not to go out with these coworkers anymore without me, without me there. <laughs> which he's complied with, and I've asked him to tell me what his plans are whenever he goes out, not so that I could have the chance to restrict them, but I think as his girlfriend, I have a special right to know where and what he's doing and with who I do not want to restrict them anymore. Like I used to, it did not work out, and I want to move forward with this relationship. But I'm having a hard time trusting him again like I used to. You'll need to get a box of tissues before you listen to my response and go sit in a dark room. You need to dump this guy. You need to break up with this guy. You will feel better about yourself if you break up with this guy. You have been dating him since you were 14 years old. You are now 19 years old. He is doing this shit that some young men do who have girlfriends they've been with for a long time uh, where they just don't have the decency or the courage or the ovaries to end it cleanly, to be a decent upstanding guy and break up when they're ready to break up. And so they make themselves increasingly shitty and intolerable. They betray, they do awful things and they basically force their girlfriends to dump them because they don't have the decency or the ovaries to dump their girlfriends when it's clear from their actions, if not the pretty things that they'll still say to their girlfriends to hold on to them, that they're moving on into a different phase of their life. He is going – I don't think, right? I statements. I don't think that this is going to get better. I think it's going to get worse. I think he will make you promises and then he will violate them. And you will go through this cycle of tearful apologies and new restrictions and keeping tabs on him and him keeping tabs on you and these rules and basically having to police him at all times. And you will be a basket case. You will be a nervous wreck at all times anytime he's out of your sight and you will be miserable. But you'll have a boyfriend but you'll be miserable. But you'll have a boyfriend, but you'll be miserable. And the reason you don't want to not have a boyfriend is you were afraid at 14. The reason you don't want to not have a boyfriend is at 19, you are afraid that if you are single, you will be miserable. 
I'm here to tell you that you will definitely be miserable so long as this guy is your boyfriend. And you might not be miserable once you're single. You might be sad for a while that this relationship is ending. A lot of important things happened in this relationship. Many, many uh, wonderful, you know, and, and very important milestones in, in your sexual and social development from 14 to 19. And he was there with you that whole time. If you could make a clean break now, maybe you guys can circle back in a couple of years and, and be friends and be able to like share memories and be concerned for each other and, you know, check in with each other once in a while and, you know, wish them well going forward. But you're not going to be with this guy the rest of your life. You're just not. Look around. How many women in your family, friends, neighbors, do you know who are 30, 35, 25, who are with the people they were with when they were freshmen in high school, who are still with the guys or the girls that they were with when they were 14 or 15? Probably zero. With the exception, though, of the girls who were unfortunate enough to get pregnant at some point during those years, who are probably not still with those guys, but entangled with those guys because they are co-parents, but not partners anymore. It is a good thing to be 19 or 20 or 21 and on your own to figure out who and what you want, to find a partner that you do not have to eventually do not have to police, to get out there a little bit and enjoy life, not to spend the next two, three, four years of your life monitoring this guy in a desperate and I think ultimately what will be a failed effort to reestablish trust. Actions speak louder than words. His actions of late, what they're saying is he thinks of himself as single. So why doesn't he do the right thing and break up with you? Probably because he doesn't want to hurt your feelings, which is ridiculous and, and a paradox because by not breaking up with you and drawing this out, you are, instead of having one big clean hurt and getting dumped and getting over it and moving on, you're going to have this if this goes on for six months or a year or two years, you're going to have two years of nonstop hurt until you get to the dump hurt, whether you dump him or he dumps you. That is my honest, unvarnished advice. I hear the pain in your voice and I am sorry to make it worse for you right now. But you need to end it with this guy. Free him to go have his adventures and free yourself to go have yours. Meet new people, have new boyfriends, boyfriend, get out there. It'll be a waste of time and effort to try to police him into a place where you can trust him again. You'll need to put him in one of those gestation pens they keep pigs in to reestablish the kind of trust you want. Fool's errand, not worth it. End it. I'm sorry. Lay in ice cream, lay in movies, call your friends, tell them you're going to need them to Give you shoulders to cry on and distractions to take your mind off it. Movies and going out and doing stuff. That's my advice. Hey, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old gay male who was recently out of a two-year relationship with a man that was twice my age who didn't practice her campsite rule. My ex was my first real relationship and he was my first sexual partner. During the time that we talked about sexual safety before getting intimate, he gained my trust by showing me his then-recent STD test, which showed him being negative for all things tested. My ignorance didn't allow me to know that herpes testing isn't part of the standard STD testing package, and I was happy to see that he was HIV negative. We proceeded to be intimate, which he eventually convinced me to bear back due to his claims his penis was oversensitive and condoms caused him pain. Flash forward to the present where my discovery of his acyclovir prescription and my development of painful rectal herpes led to him finally admitting his status of being herpes positive and that he acquired it before meeting me. It's been a sloppy breakup, but I'm slowly getting over the relationship. 
here are my two questions. Now that I'm out of a relationship and have sexual freedom to explore casual encounters like I've never done before, what is the etiquette for announcing my herpes to potential sex partners? And could you give me some healthy guidelines for being sexually active with herpes? Finally, I wanted to ask you if you think I should do anything if I know my ex is still out there hooking up using the same old tricks he used on me, claiming he's STD-free. In some states, knowingly spreading the disease can be charged as a crime. Should I press charges against it if I have proof that he had herpes before we had sex? I have to admit my motivation probably isn't completely an altruistic mission to save the world from his herpes. Your outside advice would be appreciated. You have two questions. Should you take revenge on this guy somehow? Should you go to the police? And should you or how do you disclose the fact that you have uh, herpes in the butt? Um, well, first question, I actually wrote something at Savage Love Letter of the Day recently where I found this quote by Confucius that when you go out to seek revenge, dig two graves. Uh, the grave for the person that you hope to take your revenge upon and your own grave too because there could be blowback. Let's say that you turn him in. Let's say that he then figures out some way that he can fuck your life up. Like what kind of emails does he have? What kind of photos does he have? What kind of dirt on you does he have if you run to the police or if you out him to other sex partners? Can he retaliate in some way that could really fuck up your life? Is he going to send dirty pictures of you to everyone on the email list at your place of employment or to your parents or whatever? And that kind of mutually assured destruction is why sometimes it's just a better idea to back away from the shit bag as satisfying as it might be to take your revenge or punch them in the nose on the way out. It may not be in your own best interest. So I would stop fantasizing about revenge if I were you. Uh, he did a terrible thing, a dirty thing, a rotten thing. He didn't disclose. You need to ask yourself even if he had disclosed, would you have gone ahead and had the sex anyway? And that's a relevant question as you think now about how you disclose the fact that you have herpes. There are some people out there, there are some articles that have been written by people who have herpes who argue that they aren't disclosing and shouldn't have to disclose because the stigma is so great and the misunderstandings about herpes are so great that the reaction when you disclose is out of all proportion to the actual risk and the actual consequences even if you did transmit the virus. Most people who have herpes don't know they have herpes because they've never had a single outbreak or they had one outbreak once and didn't even notice it. It was so minor, thought it was something else. And so in the lives of most people with herpes, herpes is kind of not a big deal to quote the Planned Parenthood lady who's been on the show a bunch of times, not a big deal in the lived experience of most people. And yet people walk around terrified of herpes and people – with herpes are stigmatized and, and seen as diseased and because there are so many people out there with herpes who don't know they have herpes, a lot of people who are walking around terrified of herpes have herpes and a lot of people are walking around thinking that people who have herpes are gross and icky and diseased and no one that they would ever have sex with have herpes themselves. They just don't know it. You can unpack all of that for a sex partner, right, and process it and hold their hands and then let them make a decision about whether or not they want to have that kind of sex with you. Or according to some of these things have been written by people with herpes who are working around the stigma and shame and fear that's out of all proportion to the reality, you cannot disclose. But here you are thinking of revenging yourself upon someone for doing what? For not disclosing to you. And so I think that you are kind of morally obligated not to be the shitty person you think this guy was and then disclose. You do need to disclose. Before you're intimate, condoms are very effective at protecting people 
from acquiring herpes. So if you use condoms with future partners, you are going a long way. If you are seeking treatment from a doctor, there are drugs that suppress herpes. You are potentially less infectious. You can't know when you're shedding the virus. You can't know when you're infectious or not, but much less potentially infectious if you are in treatment for it. Some people don't want to take a drug all their lives to treat herpes if herpes isn't an issue for them. If they have very few or zero outbreaks over the course of life, they don't necessarily want to be on a drug forever. It's a choice you'll have to make in consultation with your doctor. I'm sorry this happened to you. There are herpes dating sites if you want to sidestep the issue entirely. A lot of people in your dating pool as a gay man have been exposed to herpes or have had partners who have herpes and have not been exposed to herpes and aren't going to be as, I think, terrified of it as others might be. So you may not get the kind of negative reactions that you fear from all people that you disclose to. You will get some from some. It's a difficult conversation. Like I say frequently to people who you know have HIV, who have some crazy kink, who are whatever, that you can regard it as a sorting hat, Harry Potter magic because when you tell this about yourself to someone, you're telling them one thing about you and their reaction tells you a great deal about them, right? It can be very revealing. Sometimes it tells you everything that you need to know about them, how they react to being told that you have HIV or that you have – X, Y, or Z, or that you have herpes, whether they're worth your time, worth your trouble. Hi, I'm a questioning 24-year-old in Washington, and I have realized that over the most of my life that I've been very socially and emotionally attracted to women and sexually attracted to both sex, it seems like, but mostly men. And I realized recently that I have to experiment with both sexes to learn what I'm more drawn to. I recently had sex with a guy anonymously and have just tried it again with someone else and was just not able to get into it. I've had crushes on a few women and I've I've had crushes only on women, not really on guys. And I'm just wondering if I should continue to experiment physically with women to see if I'm also sexually attracted attracted to them. I've grown up in a mostly sex-negative culture through uh, being raised in the Christian realm, so I'm wondering if possibly I'm dealing with just a lot of sexual repression from that uh, focus on females. So I'm wondering, is what I'm feeling... Uh, typical of bisexual, or might I be a straight person who is just dealing with a lot of uh, sexual repression for uh, females that would be worthy to for me to work on that rather than my bisexuality? Okay, so I wanted to get you on the phone because I just have one question. So you're having sex with yeah. men, but you're you get crushes on women. You're emotionally attracted to women. You think that might have something to do with the zap that your the faith you were brought up in put on your head. It left you incapable of being sexually attracted to women, but somehow that faith didn't make it impossible for you to be sexually intimate with men, which seems a little weird to me because usually those Christian faiths are very homophobic too. Um, what do you masturbate about when you jack off? What's going on between your ears? It's actually a mix of both. Like there was. Are guys involved, girls involved, and both, like, are there, getting excited? Okay, are so. there girls involved in, because when I was very young and confused, I masturbated about men having sex with women, but I was staring at the men in my fantasies. 
Oh, yeah, no, this is like me having sex with women. Okay, you're probably bi then. Okay. And I think you need to stop stressing out about this. Have you, you've never been with a woman sexually? Is that true? Uh, I've like kissed women, but have not been with one sexually. Why? Like recently, recently I cuddled with a girl and it was really exciting, but she actually had a boyfriend. So. Careful of cuddling with women. It's a slippery slope from cuddling with a woman to having like six babies and being stuck with her for the rest of your life. Just be careful <laughs> out there. Okay. <laughs> if I had to put a label on you right now, and actually don't, I don't have to, and you don't have to put a label on yourself either, but just as a thought experiment, right. if I were to slap one on you, I would slap by on you and I would set aside the whole faith thing and stop trying to figure out why things have played out for you so far this way. Uh, just like this is how it's played out for you. The likelier explanation is then, you know, my faith put such a zap on my head. The church in which I was raised put such a zap on my head that I'm only capable of being physically intimate with men and not women. I think that it's just easier to get guys to go to bed with you. Generally, exactly. men are, sl- yeah, you know, I mean, men are pigs. You know, men yeah. run around throwing the slut label at women. And that's just projection. Men are sluts. Men, mm. men are easy. So it's just been easier for you as a young guy to find other guys to, who want to jump into bed with you and no strings attached jumped into bed with you. Right. Huh. And it's also there's a bit of a – I think this is somewhat negative, but there's positives involved. But that I'm afraid of having sex with a girl like no strings attached because girls are supposed to be like – like that's supposed to be damaging to a girl, but to a guy, it like doesn't matter because mm-hmm. he's a guy. So like there's kind of that deal. Okay. Well, it's not, on. it's not necessarily damaging to a girl. It can be damaging to a girl when a guy thinks less of her for engaging in that kind of NSA sex that guys allow themselves to engage in without feeling damaged in any way or mm-hmm. diminished. Um, but there's nothing damaging about that for women. If that's what she wants and she goes about it in a, in a healthy way and finds somebody who wants that too and nobody's lying to each other and it's totally consensual and fun, a one-night stand can be a terrific thing for all parties involved. Awesome. But, but, but it's uh, harder to get women into bed, uh, you know, men, harder to get women to bed for all sorts of reasons. You know, the slut-shaming stigma, sexual violence, intimate partner violence, disease goes – uh, more quickly, uh, you know, disease transmission is likelier from male to female than from female to male. And then the risks of pregnancy fall entirely and mm. exclusively on her. There's all sorts of right. pressures on women that make them less game, less likely just to go for it. So mm. you've just had an easier time getting dudes into bed and you've now decided that that's a problem somehow, or that's very telling or revealing of some damage in your psyche or your soul or your erotic inner life. And I don't think that's true. You're just young and, mm. Because you probably, you know, if you are bi, you may be bisexual but heteroamorous, which is something we've talked about a bunch on the show. Mm-hmm, and totally. so a relationship with a woman may feel more emotionally fraught and therefore be harder because there's more at stake because your heart's at stake, not mm. just your dick. Mm. So you may approach men with this just breezy confidence because it's not very consequential because you're not interested in any sort of long-term romantic attachment to a male. And you approach mm. women with a little more fear and trembling because – you're more vulnerable because you would like a romantic long-term attachment with a woman. And so when you think about being with a woman or think about approaching a woman or dating women, it's scarier because there's more mm. at stake, which also adds to it being easier for you to run off with men. Not just that men are easier, but men are easier for you. Right. Hmm. That's a whole way of thinking about it that I have not come about. Huh. 
And doesn't that seem likelier than you're still reeling from the faith in which you were raised that put such a massive zap on your head? No, I think you're looking at the way you've behaved and what you've done and trying to find a reason for it, an explanation. And faith is mm. the easy one and the obvious one. But I think the less obvious reasons are probably the real ones, the ones we've unpacked. Yes, I think that's a really worthy way of looking about it. Right. Looking, looking at it. Back to the gym for you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, um, I'm calling to respond to the woman who has PMS that is ending her relationship or something like that. My mother told me something when I was growing up. When you're angry around your period about something, it means that you're angry all the time about it. So you need to listen to that. And I would definitely suggest that she learn some healthy ways to express her discomfort or anger or anxiety about something that isn't around her period because maybe it will clear up those problems. They uh, have now designated PMS as a culturally bound syndrome, which means that it has to do with the cultural values we put on women. If you tell women that they have to be docile and accommodating all the time, then they're going to find a time when they're allowed to express feelings that aren't docility. So I would suggest that she take that into mind before putting chemicals in her body to make her more docile. Hormonal birth control is good for if you're, you know, bleeding all the time and you need to damp that down or get a regular period. But as far as PMS goes, it pretty much makes you feel like you have PMS all the time. I would recommend find a qualified herbalist. There are a lot of nutrition, mineral factors that have to do with PMS. There's a lot of things you could do. A few things I could say right off the bat are evening primrose oil, take a supplement, make sure you're getting enough calcium and magnesium in balance. There are uh, herbs and nettles, you know, nettle tea is excellent source of minerals, calcium. I would suggest she talk to her doctor about having an SSRI, that's something like Zoloft or Paxil or Prozac, which can be prescribed just for the time during her period. She may be sensitive to sugar and craving chocolate, sugar on her period and eating it a lot. I know I'm sensitive to sugar and it makes me a pretty terrible person. One thing I can say that I have really found helps, a little marijuana. Take that week and really live it up with alone time and with me time. My solution is passion flower tea or drops uh, and or St. John's wort tea or drops. I took lots of vitamin supplements and it has helped a lot. There is an herb that you can take and it can either go by the name of Vitex or Chasteberry. I'm an acupuncturist and an herbalist and I prescribe a particular formula called Free and Easy Wonder. The number one thing that I often work with my clients um, with is a massage technique um, called Mayan Abdominal Massage. I would recommend working out physical practice, exercise, yoga, meditation. I found a naturopath and started getting B shots in the bum twice a month, and I am totally hormone rage free. It is amazing. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. There's going to be a live taping of the Savage Lovecast in Portland, Oregon on February 13th. 
It's a pre-Valentine's Day party for the single and the brokenhearted and the partnered and the not so brokenhearted. It's going to be at Revolution Hall, Southeast 14th Avenue in Portland. For more information and tickets, go to portlandmercury.com slash unlucky love. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Allison Moon on Twitter at TheAllisonMoon. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for coming.